Gail had a really good idea. If we wanted you to fill out these cards, we need to do some sort of raffle. So um, I think Gail and Bob are going to come up with the, uh, the reward for that. And Just kidding. We'll come up with something. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Worship team, thank you for leading us. Appreciate y'all. <laughs> want to read something. Uh, email that I got, and most of you on the worship team, plus Will and Carrie, were a part of our Friday night worship night that we had a couple nights ago, so I hope you guys hear this too. There was an email that came in from somebody that was there. They said, the night of worship and prayer may not have had a high attendance. It may not have been a high attendance event, but it was fantastic. Thank you all for following the Lord's lead and giving us the time and space and atmosphere to worship and just be in God's presence. And I love that our worship team has the heart to provide just that kind of atmosphere and environment and space where people can really connect with God. So the next time we do one of those, you're not going to want to miss it. It was, uh, it was really good. It was really, really good. And I appreciate the person that sent that email. It was very, very encouraging and kind. Well, I want to start the message today by letting you know, just reminding you if you weren't here last week, uh, we are doing a short series. It's called Community Better Together. Last week, Pastor Jim kicked us off into this series, and we're talking about being better together in community because nobody stands alone. Like, God wired his family, his people, the body of Christ, to do life together. It's just, it's just better his way. It's better that way. And for a couple few more weeks here, we are going to be talking about what authentic biblical community, life together, can look like, um, which is, I think, important to do right now because, as you know, there's been lots of reports on the effect of the pandemic, which is still ongoing, um, but a multitude of reports saying that, that the COVID-19 virus has also accelerated a loneliness pandemic, uh, causing depression, heart attacks, and other major health problems. And that's not new because uh, this has been a problem for a while. This has just highlighted this problem. Back in 2018, um, the UK actually recognized what a big deal this is, and they created a government position in 2018 to address this. And uh, this is a great, this is a great, how do you like this on your business card if you worked in the government over there and this was your job? The Minister of Loneliness is what they have. It's a real job. Not sure I would want to hand their, I'm not sure how that would be interpreted as I hand that out to people, right? Uh, and Japan, during COVID, did the same thing this year. Um, see, loneliness is, is, is real. It's actually damaging. It's not just a feeling that people get. Um, it, it can be bad for your health. Like, you know how smoking is, is bad for you? I mean, I think most of us would agree the studies aren't lying, right? Uh, smoking's bad for you. Uh, check this out. Studies show that loneliness is as lethal as smoking 16, I'm sorry, 15 cigarettes a day. Not sure if I'd rather smoke. Or, no, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> that poor social relationships are associated with a, a 29% increase in heart disease and a 32% rise in the risk of strokes. Loneliness is not just an emotional feeling of disconnection that doesn't matter. It actually affects our physical health as well. And this is no surprise to those of us that are followers of Jesus because God created, we know that God created us to need other people. He knows that we are better together, and that's a big part of what biblical community is all about. Now, as uh, Pastor Jim mentioned last week, 
It's not like you can look in a concordance of the New Testament and look for the word, you know, community, and all these passages pop up that use that word community. Um, but community tends to be the word that we use today uh, to describe something that the New Testament does talk a lot about. Um, community falls into that umbrella where we also talk about the family of God or the body of Christ. Uh, there's a strange word that if you've been in church circles for a while, maybe you've heard this this, uh, this word for what the biblical community is, uh, the word is koinonia. Koinonia. Anybody heard that word before? It's a Greek word. And in the New Testament, koinonia speaks to this idea that we Christians are connected to our fellow Christians, that we have fellowship with each other, that we share life together. That's part of koinonia. Um, but, you know, I don't use the word koinonia much because, you know, when we use these confusing non-English words, it doesn't exactly help us understand what they mean, um, nor does it help new people who are new to church or maybe newer to our church feel like, like they belong. They feel like outsiders when we use code language. Uh, so the word community, community, is, is a pretty good equivalent in our modern day language, and that's the word we're using here. Um, and I know that probably... Uh, many of us have experienced community or koinonia to one level or another in churches that we've been a part of over the years. Um, some of us have had bad experiences in churches we've been. That would be like anti-koinonia, and maybe you're afraid to get connected because you had some bad experiences. And you know what? There's a lot of folks here that we've been through that so we can relate. We know what that's like. And, and part of what we are called to be here at Hope is a healing community where we don't get it all right, right? It says no perfect people on the sign out there, right? We don't get it all right, but we want people to come here who have been in unsafe or even abusive, or even, we have folks here that have been a part of cults before, and we, we trust that the grace of Jesus will work to bring healing and reshape our idea of community and koinonia. Now, some of us have actually had some good um, experiences in churches over the years. I can think of a few different church experiences where I've uh, been a part of where deep, authentic community happened. One of those times happened when I was in a, in a ministry that I helped lead uh, 20 years ago. And in fact, many of the friendships I have today that are strong were formed back then. Our worship uh, pastor, Troy, is one of those people that I met way back then. There's other people here at Hope that I met in those communities. It was a very strong community sense that we had. In fact, there's a lot of folks that I haven't seen in you know, probably 10 or 15 years, who they still hang out with the people that they created community with in those circles as well. Even though we're not still connected, they have that real community, kind of lifelong friends, um, and those friendships are still strong for so many people. This is what can happen when we get into communities, biblical communities, where we actually try to focus on being real with each other. Now, I remember from way back then... Um, there was a friend of mine who, we had gone to Bible college together. He was a pastor living across the country from here. And we used to do a lot of church shop talk together, right? And, and I, I think it was probably more than 15 years ago, I distinctly remember one conversation um, because he was kind of surprised that, that the, the ministry that I was helping lead, um, we had grown from like 30 people to about 400 people in about just a few years. And he was asking me, wow, what... What do you think that God's doing in, in your group there that you're a part of, that, that church, that's unique? Like, what's unique in your church? And one of the things I said, probably the first thing I said was, 
You know, we really think that God is helping us to experience authentic community. And I was surprised at his response. He, he kind of went, all right, community, like in this mocking sort of way. And I was surprised at his response. And it took me a little bit to remember that he, uh, he, was lis- he listened a lot to talk radio. And there was a particular local host up there that liked to kind of mock the word, make fun of the word community. And so he said something to me like, wow, listen, Doug, everybody thinks they're in a special community. Like we have the college community. We have the rich community. We have the welfare community. We have the gay community. We have the straight community. We have the refugee community. The, we have the tall com- community and the short community. I mean, he was, you know, um, so I kind of get a little bit of what he was scoffing at, but I think he insulated himself from actually beginning to wonder what authentic community really was about. I mean, I could have answered him, well, brother, we're experiencing deep koinonia at our church. (laughs) Maybe that would have done something for him. And, you know, sadly, and this is not a dig on big churches, but because the church he was helping plant became one of the biggest churches in that area, their focus was on uh, growing rapidly and quickly and having big, impressive services on the weekends. And and in some of those church cultures, which I confess I have been a part of in the past, um, in those kinds of cultures where it's, it's all focused on the big show, then the pastors in that culture, the pastors and leaders need to have it all together. Um, They have to have all the answers or look like they have all the answers. Um, Pastors could not admit that they were imperfect. They could not admit that that they, that we, (laughs) have the same doubts and struggles like everyone else. And let me promise you this, in whatever size or type of church, if the pastor has to be a poser and pretend, so does everyone else. So in churches or in families, or in workplaces, or in groups. If you can't be the real you at some level, you will never experience authentic biblical community. See, authentic community, koinonia, being being a a family where it gets messy, and we love each other anyways, Um, being the body of Christ where we don't let our differences of opinion divide us, that kind of Christian community is hard to come by. It's so hard to come by, in fact, that many of us, I think, give up trying or we just kind of settle in for shallow where, you know, we might go to Bible studies and give the right answers, but, but nobody really admits what's going on really inside of their own heart or their own life. Back to the story I was telling there. So that conversation with my friend, the pastor guy, was, it was over 15 years ago. And we saw each other here and there and still did church shop talk and all kinds of other stuff with life. Um, And then about five years ago, I think it was, uh, he and I had another conversation because some hard stuff had happened in his life. And we had that conversation after his wife had, had left him. And since I've been down that road of going through divorce, I can relate. And, and we had a really good talk. I've got some perspective. Some of it was helpful, I think. But near the end of our time together, I said, hey, man, listen, going through divorce is one of the hardest things you will ever face. You already know that you've got to hang on to Jesus. You've got to be careful not to make, you know, destructive choices that are going to damage your heart further. Uh, and, And, man, like, who do you have? Like, who's a close friend that's with you in this? And he said, I don't really have any. 
And then he told me about a study that he had read that described the plight of the American male, and I don't, couldn't find the exact study, but um, I remember he said to me that he read the average, the average middle-aged American male has 0.5 close friends. 0.5. You could have all kinds of math fun with that, right? Um, and maybe that number's off, and, you know, if, if, if I've got 10, does that mean that I'm hogging all the friends, you know, from, I don't know, I don't know. But um, those kinds of friendships are rare, too rare, sadly. So then I thought, okay, well, let's back up because, you know, yeah, you need a close friend, but really what you need is community, like Christian community, koinonia. And I was kind of hesitating to use that word, but I was like, hey, listen, man, okay, you know this, right? You've got to have people to lean on. Uh, you have to have strong community around you. And, dude, I love you, but I live 2,000 miles away. You need people right here that you are doing life with. So who are those people? And he said again, I don't have any. I don't have any of those. And, um, man, I, I get it, right? Like, I understand that close friends are rare. But I think what's always just grieved my heart is is knowing that too many Christians, not only do they not have many close friends who help them follow Jesus, they don't even have that level of the body of Christ, the family of God, biblical community, that circle of support, um, a, a place where we know that we have each other's backs. And I was so sad for my friend because in a church of 10,000 that he helped plant, nothing, like nobody. Um, and that's not a dig on him like he didn't see it modeled where he could be real and I think about us friends and I go you know what if our church if hope when hope grows <laughs> but if people come here and they don't even feel like they have the option to build a sense of biblical community with with a smaller circle of folks within our church where they can get to know they can lean on them if we miss that then friends we miss the mark on what God calls us to as a church family See, he's called us to be a community, to, to, to have koinonia, life together, knowing God knows that we are better together and we need each other. It's like Pastor Jim said last week, when, when God spoke to Adam and said in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. He didn't just mean the dude needs a wife, right? I mean, he did. <laughs> But God knew and was speaking to something larger there, that we need each other, that no one stands alone. We are created to do life together. And one of the things that we're going to need, because it's hard work actually to create life together, um, what we're going to need, if we're going to begin cultivating authentic biblical community, uh, is that we have to realize and, and come to grips with the idea that it means devotion. Now, this isn't obligation, this is not legalism, this is not law, this isn't should. It's just how it works. And so let's look at the early church for just a minute here. We see this characteristic when we look at the early church. The early church in the book of Acts, they had the real deal, biblical community. And I just want to look real quick at a couple passages. One verse from Acts chapter 1 and a few verses from Acts 2. And this is just such a great snapshot of what authentic community looks like in the body of Christ. Really, we could mine this for weeks, and eventually we're going to come back to looking at the early church in the book of Acts because sometimes people are like, well, the church is terrible now, and we just don't get it right like they had it, but we're going to look at how it was messy back then too, but that'll be in a few weeks. 
But Acts chapter 1, just one verse up on the screen, we read that as the early church was just getting started, verse 14 says this. It's talking about the disciples. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Real quick insight here just from this verse. Um, by the way, what, what sort of car did the disciples drive? A Honda. A Honda, thank you very much. They were in one accord. Thank you. Thank you, pastor, preacher joke right there. Trust on Jim to help me out there. All right, that's not the word I wanted to look at, right? The word we really look at here, couldn't help myself. I had to go find a different version to be able to use that word too, yeah. So the word, the key word right here, which we'll notice again in the next verses, is devoted. They were devoted to prayer. It's one thing they were devoted to, to prayer. And then flip over to Acts 2, begin 40, uh, verse 42. We'll see the snapshot of, the, of their community, this early church. It says here, and they, notice, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they, what? Devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So the outsiders, too, were favoring them, amazed at what was going on, right? And here's the last line in it. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Whew, this is a picture of life in the biblically functioning church community of the first century. And again, the, the word that caught my attention, um, three times we see the word devoted, right? The, the writer says they devoted themselves. It's like it's one of his favorite words um, in, in chapter 117, right? They devoted themselves to meeting together for times of prayer. And then in chapter 2, 42, verse 42, they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. And then he uses that word again in verse 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together. And I think it's not a hard stretch to say, it doesn't take much study, to, to notice that this, this new community, the early church, this group of Jesus followers is marked by devotion. Now the word devotion comes itself from a word which means a binding promise or a pledge. And these were a people of devotion, not out of legalism, like these are the folks that were living in grace, right? A binding promise, a pledge. They had bound themselves to God and bound themselves to each other. Now, again, I know so many times Churches use this kind of language, and it makes me nervous because sometimes what they mean is a very legalistic, you know, kind of us-only club, and it can easily turn into a cult. So we want to be like, hey, I understand some of you have been through that, and so we aren't pushy with any of that. It's just an invitation. It's an invitation to, to, to bind ourselves to God and to be devoted to each other. And we're learning how to do that, friends. We're learning how to do that, and it takes time. But this idea of learning how to be devoted is very different. 
Like the way they did it is very different than the, the, than the way relationships, relationships work in our world today. See, in our drive through microwaving, give it to me now culture, people have a very low commitment, right? If it meets my needs, I stay. If it doesn't meet my needs, I'm out of here, right? Isn't that true? Like we do that in our neighborhoods, we do it in our relationships, and we do it in our churches, don't we? Again, there's good reasons for moving on from a church community or a church family. There are good reasons. Um, just don't be quick to do so, right? See, at its heart, this word um, for devotion has to do with enduring, with sticking to something, even when it would be easier not to. See, that's the way that devotion works. So you hear me talk about this, and for those of us who go, yeah, I want that. I want that kind of community. If we want that and we don't have it, then how do we cook up a batch of community, right? Like, hey, quick, tell me the ingredients so I can whip it up now and throw it in the microwave because I want it now, I want it, and need it now, right? But here's the bad news. Um, there isn't really a recipe for authentic biblical community. In fact, the, the longer I've been at this and around these kinds of situations in cultivating biblical community, um, the longer I've been at it, the more I think that, you know, it's, it's more like gardening. Like, that's the picture, right? It's, it's like gardening, right? That word, devotion, reminds me of what, it, what it's like to cultivate a garden. Any gardeners out here? Anybody? Gardening? Yeah, here and there, a few of you. You're just afraid to put your hand up because you know we're going to be like, all right, what are you growing? Mm -hmm. Especially in Arizona, gardening takes devotion, doesn't it? Like back in Minnesota, where, where I come from, my family always had gardens, right? They had these lush, huge green plots of land from which we grew more tomatoes and cucumbers and pumpkins and green beans than we'd ever eat in an entire summer. And if I remember right, um, there was one place we lived where there was a whole other section of just flowers. My dad had this beautiful, huge flower garden. Beautiful, amazing. Like people would come back there and ask if they could take, you know, pictures of their senior pictures or family. They'd want to come in our backyard and take pictures. It was that gorgeous. And our gardens that my parents had when I was a kid were huge. In fact, those gardens would take up an entire backyard of a, you know, an standard Arizona backyard size. Like it would take up an entire backyard easily in most of our backyards. And gardens look nice. They look wonderful, right? But when I was a kid... There was a part of me um, and a part of gardens that I hated so badly that, that I knew I didn't ever want a garden of my own when I grew up, right? Anybody want to guess what I hated about gardening? Yes, weeds, pulling weeds. I hated that. I hated it. And my dad would probably be like, son, you did not pull that many weeds. And he's probably right, right? <laughs> I won't admit that in the second service, though. So... Because when you pull weeds in Minnesota, you get eaten alive by the Minnesota state bird. Anybody know what that is? The mosquito, right? It's like, yeah, so scratching your ankles. It was no fun. It was no fun. So in 2000, moved to Arizona. Uh, my son Noah uh, was little. And after being here a few years, he and I decided, because we saw, you know, grandparents' gardens here and there, um, okay, we're going to plant a few things here in Arizona. So we decided to plant strawberries. Uh, we were really excited about watermelons. 
and cucumbers, cucumbers. And, and our little garden that we had was a patch of dirt smaller than this little stage thingy that I'm standing on, this little section, right? I'm pretty sure my dad would say, that's not a garden, right? So, <laughs> But um, unfortunately, when Noah and I planted our little garden area, we did it kind of late in the season. Um, and the people at Home Depot, right, they... they in the plant area, they don't, they don't tell you that, right? They just smile and look at you as you buy the plants, like, oh, okay, this doofus wants to plant a garden. Looks like it must be his first garden, <laughs> right? Joke's on me. I mean, they didn't even ask me, like, <clears throat> hey, sir, do you realize that these plants are clearance price because it's too late for them to grow? Yeah. So we bought them, we planted our plants, and we were devoted. We were devoted, right? We watered them, we pulled the weeds and the vines of the cucumbers and watermelon. They grow like mad, and they got out into the grass and started killing the grass. We'd keep pulling them back into the garden area, and eventually it just grew together, and it was just messy and intertwined. But then, then the watermelons just started growing, just a little bit started growing, but the cucumbers never did. This will show you how much I listened when I was a kid to my dad's expert gardening tips, um, what I did next, okay? So Gardener Doug here had a great idea. I thought, you know, I don't want the cucumbers that are not going to grow. I don't want them competing with these melons, so I'm going to try to weed out the cucumbers because they're not growing anyway. And then all the resources go to the the melons, and they'll grow big, and, and Noah will think that his dad is a hero. So I pulled out most of the cucumber vines. <clears throat> but guess what happened in the process? Yes, I killed off the watermelons too. So, so here we go. Here's a picture. We ended up with three uh, little watermelons, if you can even call them that. Yeah. And a bunch of dead vines. Oh, here's a picture. Here's back, back to, there we go. There's Kidney cute. So cute. He would shoot me. I'm so glad he's not here this morning. <laughs> But I, I just, I hate gardening, okay? That's, that did it for me right there. I mean, Arizona's climate doesn't cooperate real well with gardening either. But here's the deal. Wherever you garden, wherever it is in the planet that you garden, um, what you got to do is plant at the right time, which we didn't, right? And you got to pull the weeds. You got to water it. You got to fertilize it. And then at some point, you kind of just have to leave it alone so it can simply grow. See, gardening takes, there's our word again, devotion takes devotion. And when I look at our Hope Covenant Church community, I think there are pockets uh, here, gardens we'll call them here at Hope Covenant, where, where real community is being experienced. Um, but I'll tell you this, in every case, the people that are experiencing real community and life together, those people have had to want it. They have had to want it. The people who are experiencing those kinds of relationships, they have actually had to they will tell you, I think, they had to work for it. They had to stick it out when it would have been easier to just bail and walk away. They had to be willing to help each other's out when it wasn't real convenient to help people out. <laughs> because there is no such thing as instant community. See, it takes time to love each other. It takes time to accept people who are different than me, who are different than you. And in our microwave, instant culture, we want things now. We want it for the cheapest price. And we want to return it for our money back if it doesn't perform up to our expectations. You know, we might be like, community? Well, sure, I want community. Sure, I want 
deep, authentic relationships, but I don't, I don't want to have to be inconvenienced. So, so maybe I'll show up for a small group once if, 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 if it meets on a night that I don't have anything else to do. And if it meets my needs, then maybe I'll stay and maybe I'll come back once in a while when I sort of feel like it on those weeks. But, 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 but if it doesn't meet my needs, you know, like if someone in the group has, you know, problems or if somebody in the group is maybe a little too needy or talks too much or smells a little funny or prays too long, if it doesn't meet my needs, then forget it. Which, yeah, that's, that's an option. That's an option and I guess that's fine. Like you can forget it and walk away. But I just want to say, no guilt, no shame, no pressure here. I just want to say this though. Um, this is kind of the reality check. If you ever want real relationships, if you ever want real relationships, if you ever want, if you ever want to taste authentic biblical community, if you even want to just sort of experience a group of people who's learning to do life together, it'll take some gardening. It'll take some gardening, cultivating, planting, fertilizing. And it depends on the group you're in, right? I've been in a group with Dalton before. There's a lot of fertilizing going on. In that group, love you, Dalton. It's real, right? There's weeds to be pulled. There's watering to be done. It's just, it's not automatic. It's not automatic. Community is like a, it's like a garden. Um, and community, you can't just like walk into a store and buy it, not if you want it to be real. And again, it takes, it takes devotion. You know, sometimes we read like these amazing, wonderful things about the New Testament church um, and we go, wow, that was amazing. And one of the illusions that I think we have in our day is, well, I mean, in the early church, that was easy for those people. But, you know, my life situation makes it difficult. See, we're going to look at that deeper in a few weeks. But let me just say it this way. Um, folks, it's never been easy. Like, just read some of the stories a little closer. They were, yeah, it was a mess. <laughs> It's never been easy. It's never been easy. But here's the deal. Just like God helped them, I believe he will help us because it matters. It really, really matters. I mean, I know those, those of you that are here even who have been here for a while, um, many of you probably would like to have walked away when things got tough in the last few years of some of the stuff that we dealt with here at Hope, some of the disappointments. But, but you stayed. And I believe God has you here for a reason. Has you here for a reason. And there may be others, because there's always people at every church, at any time, it's just a reality deal. Maybe you're discouraged by something that's not happening here at Hope, and believe me, I get that too. I understand that. And I just kind of felt prompted to share with you, if that's where you're at, where you're feeling discouraged, just to share with you uh, some of the questions that God asked me a few years ago when I was not sure if I was supposed to stay or move on or what I was supposed to do in the middle of all our chaos. Um, and these are some of the questions that I think God asked me that maybe would apply to things you could wonder through as well with him. What would it look like? What would it look like to stay? To stay in it? What's it look like? If you're discouraged, what's it look like to pray for breakthrough in this community? To, to dialogue, to learn, to grow, to trust that God is at work in our church and in you, that he is growing us and he is growing you. What if? 
and just wonder with him about that, about what that would look like. I also know that sometimes, maybe you've been around a little while and you feel like there's this insider group that must be all connected and have deep community. And I'm just gonna say real quick, like there isn't. There isn't, right? You're not missing out on some insider crowd. It's just, it's not, it's not there. Um, and I can understand, right? that longing or that wanting or wondering because, because who wouldn't just, you know, want deep, intimate, close relationships? Like most of us, not all of us, really in the deepest part of us, we would like that even if we're afraid of that. But, but here's the deal. They, those things don't just happen. That kind of community doesn't just happen. And if I want to be involved in those kinds of relationships, I'm going to have to actually be willing, here's the tough part, to give up some things. Like, I'm going to have to offer commitment, sacrifice, freedom. Um, I'm going to have to give up some time. I'm going to have to be there for somebody even though it's not convenient. And this, again, it's not legalism or pressure. It's just kind of the reality of what it looks like, what it costs to begin to experience authentic community together. One of the other things we have to do, um, if I want to enter into authentic community, I know this. Um, I'm going to have to take initiative. That's a tough one. I'm, gonna, I'm going to have to take initiative. You are going to have to take initiative over and over and over and over because building community is more difficult than not building community. It's always easier not to do it. Like hitting the drive through is much more convenient than cultivating a garden, is it not? Very often, like, I hear people express frustration, and I've done this too, so I'll do it in first person. People get frustrated, and we say things like, how come I always have to be the one to pick up the phone and make the call? How come, come, come I always have to be the one to make the first move towards somebody else? How come I have to be the one to invite other people and not them being the ones to invite me? I'm tired of doing it. Let somebody else call me first. Has anybody besides me, anybody else felt that way ever? Anyone? Yeah, it's just a universal, universal deal, right? Everybody here has felt that way before. It's universal. This frustration inside of us that, that wishes somebody else would take the first step towards, you know, me. Um, and again, here's the deal. If we really want to move into authentic community, we're going to have to overcome the temptation to wait for someone else to take the initiative. Let me say it this way. If I want it, I will have to take initiative over and over and over and over. And if you want it, you will have to take initiative over and over and over and over. And honestly, one of the confessions I have is that, you know, a lot of times I've said that I want community, but the truth is, there's a part of me that doesn't want to give up my independence or sacrifice my own agenda or expend the energy and effort that's, that, that it's going to require to engage in relationships like that. So even having to lay that down is a part of it. I know it is for me, and I'm guessing it is for many of you. We're going to have to lay some of that down. Again, not some legalistic demand, just an invitation. Like, here's what it's going to look like, right? See, and there are no guarantees because you could do all those things and still, um, like, you can't make friendships happen, right? We can't make friendships happen, but we can open ourselves up to them. 
We can do things like join a small group where friendship is more likely to blossom. That'll help. We can choose to hang out with the kind of people that we want to help shape our hearts and lives. But to do any of those things, we're going to have to overcome these barriers of being passive. We're going to have to overcome this temptation to wait for somebody else to make the call to call me. We're going to have to reject that path of least resistance over and over and over. We're going to have to keep on taking the initiative, which, you know, sometimes means I'm going to have to grow in some areas. I'm going to have to develop some things as a person so that I'm capable of this deeper level of Christian community. It's going to take work. It's going to be hard sometimes. It's not always easy. Don't want to falsely sell anything to anybody. But hear me. When it comes to cultivating community, I want you to hear this. Friends, it is worth it. It's worth it. Tending the garden is worth it because it's what you and I were made for. It's how God wired us to need one another, that we are better together. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land the plane here and... Uh, but I'm going to ask each of us to do something. Um, and I'm going to ask you to, don't worry, not in this moment. You can, you can be safe, right? <laughs> Try something that is new for some of you, right? Don't worry, we're not going to send you around the room to meet some new people here. Commit your life to them, yeah. Um, you know, every Sunday we gather here, we sing, we worship God, we are, we are taught from the scriptures about what it means to follow Jesus, and, and you know, if you've been around, that we just have this strong sense that God's calling us to focus on, you know, loving God, loving others, and following Jesus together. And I'm going to get to why we say it that way soon um, in another message. Following Jesus together. And we say it, following Jesus together, because, again, we are better together. We do this together. We follow Jesus in community and to build a deeper sense of community in following Jesus together, we have been praying and working on revamping our small groups here at Hope. Uh, Pastor Jim is spearheading that, that uh, effort. And um, if you're new to that idea, here's the quick snapshot of what a small group looks like. Small groups, they're usually somewhere between you know, 5 and 12 people, and they meet together during the week. Uh, most of the time they meet in homes. Um, sometimes we might have options here at Hope to come here. Um, but here's the big ask. Ready? Here's the big ask. I am asking each of you who is a part of the Hope family to try it. Just to try it. Just to try it. Um, we're going to have sign-ups, I believe, starting next week. There's different nights, different locations to choose from. And so I'm asking you whether you are brand new and this is your first Sunday here and you're like, oh, these are weird, interesting people. Maybe I'll stick around. It's a common reaction. Um, whether you're new or newer or you've been here for a long, long time, um, I'm going to ask all of you, all of us, right? I'm in it too, right? We're going to just to try it. Um, and know this. Again, maybe you've been in small groups and it's like, oh, man, what's the exit plan? Uh, these are not forever, <laughs> right? You're not committing your life to this small group forever. In fact, we're going to do something new where, where we do three seasons per year of small groups, and we take breaks in between, right? Um, so this first season is going to start mid-September, and it takes a break then at the end. It'll break from, like, Thanksgiving until after the holidays, so this is not a forever commitment. Um, 
So just, I'm just asking, here's the simple ask, really. I just want you to try it for like one, just one season. Just try it for one season. Heck, just, you know, try it for a month. <laughs> Start out like, okay, I'll try it for a month. I mean, you can do anything for a month, right? It's important not to try it just once or twice and then quit. Um, like a garden, it takes time. It takes time. Um, but small groups are the best place for growing in our faith. Small groups are the best place to see transformation and discipleship happen in our lives. Small groups are the place where we can actually have relationships and connections that are built. Small groups are where we follow Jesus together. And see, small groups, that's the place where community grows. Because true community is like a garden. And the garden of community here, <laughs> that God is growing at hope. Um, won't that be something to see? Won't that be something to see? Worship team, will you come? I should have called you up three minutes ago, so come fast. <laughs> Run. Because I'm out of stuff, and I'll just start talking. I'll, keep, I'll start asking okay for jokes. I don't know. <laughs> Again, I want to remind us, like, there is an intention on our part there's a cultivation that happens. But how many of you know that just like in a garden, you can, you can do all this stuff, but um, at some point, you have to remember that, that God's involved in bringing the sunshine, bringing the rain, if the garden's gonna grow. And that's true as well for us. Um, we need the Holy Spirit to empower what he's calling us to do here. Like we partner with God and do what he calls us to do, but we need him to show up and bring the healing that's needed for some, the growth that's needed for others, the, 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 the courage that it's gonna take some of us who are nervous about being in a smaller group. Um, and so we're just asking, Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you bathe us with your goodness and your presence? Will you guys stand with us?